book of Mark chapter 8, verse 34. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for another privilege to preach. We thank you for these that have come. You know every heart, you know every need. Help me, Lord, to say what ought to be said today. May I be a vessel that you could fill and use. Strengthen me, O God. Give me wisdom and understanding. Help me to be a blessing. Meet the need of every heart. We'll thank you for what's accomplished in Christ's name. Amen. I like to uh, speak to you on the subject of trading the soul. The Bible says, What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? God places more value upon the soul than he does upon the whole world. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The book of Genesis, when God created man, he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now the soul can live outside of the body, and does. But the body cannot live without the soul. And so the soul is valuable, it's a part of God, and will go on forever. Uh, and so... We realize uh, that, uh, that the soul is the most important part of man. And it's amazing to me how little value the average person places upon their soul. And they live with no regard of eternity. I like to use several illustrations in the Bible that God gives us. We find the story of Esau. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, Esau and Jacob and Rebekah, Isaac and Rebekah were childless and Isaac entreated the Lord for a child and God heard that prayer and Rebekah was able to conceive and, and she noticed there was a struggle in her wound and she had, was not going to have just one baby but two and the Lord uh, promised there in the book of Genesis 25 that the, the elder would serve the younger even before they were born. God in his foreknowledge knew that. When they were born, they were not identical twins. Sometimes uh, they say they're identical twins. They, uh, they're almost uh, so much alike that the average person can't tell them apart, especially if they dress alike. Uh, now the mother, she can tell them apart, usually. But uh, uh, anyway, these boys were not identical twins. They were totally different. They looked different. They had different interests. And uh, we find Esau was the firstborn. He was uh, hairy. 
Uh, and uh, he loved to hunt. He loved the outdoors. Jacob, on the other hand, was not hairy. He was smooth and plain, and he liked to stay around the house. And these boys were completely different. Esau became the favorite of his father because the Bible said he did eat of his venison. He loved that savory meat. He loved that wild meat. And he liked Esau. He favored Esau. And Rebekah, she favored Jacob. She loved Jacob more than she did Esau. Well, you can imagine that set up problems in itself, didn't it? But uh, one day Esau had been out hunting, and he'd come in from his hunting, and he was tired and wore out and hungry, and Jacob had been cooking. And he, uh, uh, he had been cooking some soup, and some red soup there, and and some pottage and there, and, and Esau asked his brother, says, uh, give, me, give me the pottage there, give me the soup. And, and Jacob said, I will for your birthright. Now the birthright was important. The birthright meant that, uh, uh, that they received a double in a portion of the inheritance. They received twice as much as any of the other children. Uh, they had the rights of the priests of the family, many other uh, rights that they had of being the firstborn. And here Jacob realized that. Now Jacob was, his name means supplanter or deceiver. In many ways, Jacob was a crook. But one thing about Jacob, Jacob was interested in eternal things even though I think it was some time before Jacob was really saved. But Esau, on the other hand, all he was interested in, he's a type of the flesh, all he cared about was having a big time, living it up, hunting, enjoying life. He could care less about the life to come. There's plenty of time for that. I don't need God. And he said, well, I'm going to die. I'm going to starve to death. I could care less for my birthright. Take it. Give me, the, give me the food. And Esau traded his birthright for a mess of pottage. Well, the story goes on. Time goes on. And Isaac gets old and blind. And, and he calls Esau. He said, I want you to go out hunting. I want you to bring, get, fix, go out hunting. Get some of that venison. Bring it in. Fix it like I like it. And I'm going to bless you. And his mother overheard it. And she goes to Jacob and said, Jacob, your father's determined to bless Esau, and the Lord already told me that you're the one that were to be blessed, and, and uh, we're going to get that blessing. And uh, he said, well, how's that possible? Why, uh, he'll know that I'm not Esau, my father. She said, you leave it to me. You go get a couple of the kids of the goats and I'll fix them and I'll, I'll uh, uh, put that, those good spices in them and, and your father, he won't know the difference. He said, well, he'll want a fill of me. He'll know I'm not hairy like my brother. She said, well, we'll, we'll take the skin of that, that goat and we'll put it on your neck and on your hands. Now, that tells me that Esau was really hairy. <laughs> and so... 
he comes in and they fix it all up and Jacob comes in and, and uh, he said, uh, uh, Father, I've, I've brought thee, I've brought thee your meat I've, and, and uh, I want to come for the blessing. He said, how is it that it's happened? So he said, oh, the Lord. The Lord brought it to me. Well, God did not approve of all this deceit and trickery. God was going to give him the blessing regardless. But he is going to help God out, see. Sometimes we want to help the Lord out. And, and so he said, well, you, your, your voice is the voice of Jacob's. It's the voice of Jacob, but you feel like Esau. Listen, folks, there's where a lot of people mess up. They base their salvation on their feelings instead of on faith. What does the Bible say? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And there's an application there. But anyway, he got the blessing. And Esau came in later, and he said, Father, I've come for the blessing. He said, oh my! There's someone already come and got the blessing. And Esau wept and cried and, and begged, but it was too late. The blessing was gone. Listen what the Word of God tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 and 17. Lest there be any fornicator. Tells you about a lot about Esau, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You know, many times a person in their youth says, I don't have time for God. I'm not interested in eternal things. I'm not interested in the Lord. And they, they turn God down and they say, Lord, I'm not interested. Later on, they become interested and the Lord said, I'm not interested. It's too late. They trade their soul for a mess of pottage. Then there's another illustration in the Bible in 1 Kings 21. We have the story of Ahab. Ahab was one of the kings of Israel, one of the, probably the most wicked king that they ever had. And he had a wife named Jezebel. Have you ever heard of a lady that was named Jezebel? Nobody wants to name their child that. But Jezebel was an important lady in that time. She was the king's wife. She was a heathen wife. And she provoked Ahab to... Turn against God. Well, in 1 Kings 21, there's a fellow by the name of Naboth. And Ahab, uh, his, he, his property joins Ahab's. And Ahab wants his property, but God forbid it, see. The, the property was to stay in the family uh, for perpetuity. And the land really belonged to God. Uh, but uh, Naboth said, I, he said, well, I'll buy the land. I'll trade you a better piece of property for it. I want your piece of property. And Naboth says, I cannot do it. I cannot sell the inheritance of my fathers. I can't do that. God forbids it. And Ahab goes and begins to pout. Feels sorry for himself. And Jezebel comes along and 
says, says Ahab, what's the problem? He, he, he said, oh, I wanted that property. He won't sell it. He won't trade it. I can't get it. And he won't need anything. And Jezebel said, aren't you the king? If you want the property, I'll get it for you. So she has a plan to get that property. She sends letters and stamps it with the seal of the king and says, set Naboth on high and get some false witnesses and tell them that he blasphemed God and the king and take, stone, take him out there and stone him to death and kill him. And so they did and they sent word back to Jezebel and said he's dead. We've carried out the wishes of the king. And uh, she goes to Ahab and says, Ahab, you wanted that property? Naboth's dead, go down and get it. Nice little plan, isn't it? R.G. Lee preached a great sermon on this, on this text that's preached hundreds of times and thousands of people saved. Payday someday. And so everything, you know, the amazing thing, one thing the Bible teaches is you can't sin and get by with it. Sooner or later, payday arrives. And so everything is going fine until the Lord spoke to Elijah and said, Elijah, I want you to go down and meet Ahab. He's down to the vineyard of Naboth. And I want you to meet him there and tell him the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, Ahab, they're going to lick up your blood. And tell as far as Jezebel, your wife, that the dogs will eat Jezebel. And one day, and so he goes down and he gives the news to King Ahab there. And so it happens, you follow the story. And the Bible tells us that one day they were in battle and no way Ahab and his army was out there. And a man drew a bow at a venture just drew it back and said, I'll shoot into the army, maybe I'll hit somebody. He ain't, he ain't aiming, he just draws it back and shoots. And that arrow finds its target between the grooves of the harness that protected King Ahab. And he spells out his blood, out his death. And they bring old King Ahab and wash out the chariot and the dogs lick up his blood just like God said they would. Then later on in the second kings you find Jezebel there. Jehu is, and his army is coming through there and, and she hears about it and she paints her face up and sticks her painted face out the window. And Jehu says, who is on the Lord's side? Two or three eunuchs stuck their heads out and he said, throw her down here. And they threw her down and her blood splattered all over the place. And they went on and ate and he says, this was a king's daughter. She needs a burial. And when they went to pick her up, all they found was the palms of her hands and her feet and her head, her skull. According to the word of God, for a piece of property, he sold his soul and went to hell. Can you imagine how long, how long they've been in hell? All these hundreds of years. 
traded their soul. We find Esau traded his soul for a mess of pottage. Ahab for a piece of property. We find in Mark chapter 10, we're not turning to all these, I'm just telling you the story. In Mark chapter 10, we have the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, thou knowest the commandments. And he makes a list of them. He said, all these have I observed from my youth. Here's a wealthy man. Here's a young man. He has youth. He has money. He, he has morals. You could admire people look at this young man and say, man, my, what a good young man. He's, he's, he's made it good in life. He's done well for himself. And, and a lot of good things about him. But Jesus says, yet one thing thou lackest. Go sell what thou hast and give to the poor. And come and follow me. And the Bible says he went away sad for he had great possessions. He traded his soul for a possession. Now does the Lord require everybody to sell everything they have to be saved? I don't think so. But God knew that that was that young man's God. God knew that that was the one thing that stood between him and God. And if you go on down in the, in the account of Mark there, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed and said, Well, who could be saved then if, if that's so? Now, uh, when I was in Sunday school growing up, I was taught wrong, I believe. I've learned since. The common teaching of that scripture is that in the wall at Jerusalem, in this, in this huge gate, there is a small gate called the eye of a needle. And for a camel to go through that eye of a needle, that small gate, they have to first unload the burden, put the camel through, then take the burden through. And uh, the problem with that interpretation of that scripture, the main problem is just wrong, and it's wrong because it teaches works for salvation that you can earn your salvation. But furthermore... If you study the context of the scriptures, why would the disciples be so amazed over that kind of explanation? They would not marvel and ask the question, well, who could be saved? Lord, you've made it so hard that nobody can get saved. And Jesus says, how hardly is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Listen, just as it is impossible for a, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, it is impossible for a man to go to heaven by trusting in his riches. And he said, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. And I want to tell you, when God saves you, He does the impossible. He does that that you cannot do for yourself. He does that that no church or no religion or no good works, or no anything can do for you. When God saves a man, He does the impossible. If God did not save us, if God don't save us, we can't get saved. No matter how good we live, no matter how many churches we, are, we join, no matter how, much, how many religious things we do, you can't get saved unless God saves you. God's the only one that can do it. God does the impossible. When he saves a man. 
And so he traded his soul for possessions. In Luke 12, he talks about the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? I have nowhere to bestow my fruits and my goods. And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater barns. But God said, Thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And so we move on. I have a couple more examples and I'll be through. We have the story of Judas. It's carried. Judas was one of the twelve. Listen. He saw Jesus Christ open the eyes of the blind. He saw him cleanse the leper. He saw him raise the dead. He saw him walk on the water. He saw him feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. He saw those miracles. He heard the teaching. He heard and saw what all the other disciples saw and heard. But Judas Iscariot was not saved. The Bible said, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is the devil. Judas carried the bag. Judas, Judas was the money fella. And Judas, behind the scenes, he was betraying the Lord all the time. And he consulted with the chief priests and, and for 30 pieces of silver to betray the Lord. A piece of silver was worth 64 cents. So $19.20, pardon me, $19.20, the price of a slave. He sold Jesus down the drain. He traded his soul for, a, for a less than $20. He sold Jesus out. And he comes and betrays the Lord with a kiss. The Bible says when he saw that he was condemned, he went out and hanged himself. And the book of Acts says that his bowels gushed out. Evidently the rope broke and he fell down on the rocks, they believe, and his bowels gushed out. He went to his own place. Sold out his soul and went to hell for less than $20, he betrayed Christ, his only hope of salvation. You know, Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You know, if we don't have Jesus, where are we going to turn to? Where are we going to go? When you, when you, when you leave God out of your life, what is there? There's nothing else. There's nowhere else to turn. But Judas made, made a decision. I'd rather have a few dollars than to have the Lord. I'd rather have $20 than to have heaven. He made an awful mistake for 30 pieces of silver. And then finally, there's the illustration of Felix in the Bible. And uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 24, he married Drusilla, another king's wife, and he lived in wickedness and sin. And Paul the apostle there preached to him. The Bible said in Acts 24, 25, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. As Paul preached, he gets under conviction. He reasons of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. He preaches the word of God. He preaches judgment. He preaches righteousness. And old Felix gets under conviction. But he says, not today. I'll get saved some other time. 
I'll get saved on my schedule, on my terms. I'm not going to get saved now. I'm going to get saved later. And he died and went to hell, no doubt. He reasons of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come for a position. After two years, another fellow takes his position. How many have sold their soul? How many have exchanged their soul? and traded their soul for a position. And because of their position, they say, I can't get saved. If I get saved, then I can't, I can't, I can't keep my position. I'll lose my position. That's what he did. And he went away without God. You know, I, I heard Mac Hodge tell a story years ago about, him, about this, this fellow had a dream, and he dreamed about this meeting in hell. Of course, the devil is not in hell. He's going there, going to stay there forever, but he's getting there now. And he had this meeting with the demons, and he said there's too many people getting saved and too many people coming to Christ. We've got to do something. And one demon said, let's tell them there's no God. That'll do it. Just tell people there's no God. He said, well... Even we believe in God. That won't work. The devil believes in God. And then let's see. Another one said, well, let's, let's tell them there's no heaven. Another one said, uh, he said, oh, uh, people know there's, there's an afterlife. Let's tell them. Another one said, let's tell them there's no hell. And of course, there are those that do that, you know. Let's tell them there's no literal burning everlasting hell. Let's tell them there's no fire. Tell them there's no hell. And finally, one of them said, I have the answer. Let's tell them there's a God. Let's tell them there's a heaven. Let's tell them there's a hell. Let's tell them about sin. Let's tell them about judgment. Let's tell them about the hereafter. Let's tell them all that. And when they get a conviction and they think I've got to be saved, I can't, go, I can't take a chance on going to hell. I've got to get saved. Let's tell them this. Let's tell them to wait. Tell them to put it off. Tell them don't get saved now. You've got time. You can get saved later. Just tell them to wait. And the devil said, what a wonderful idea. You've got it. Let's don't worry about telling them these things. Let's just tell them don't do anything about it. And there's more people in hell this morning they meant to get saved. But they waited too late. I could stand here today and give you personal testimonies of people that have sat in the pew like you're sitting today. And they meant to get saved. They just didn't do it then. The one I have illustrated more than any was a young man of 19 years of age. Not in this church, but the former church I pastored. He said on the front seat, the church is packed full. I preached and others came to the altar, but he did not come. A man was standing beside him and I noticed when I was giving the invitation, I noticed him speak to him. And then he, he, he said something to him. I didn't know what he said or what, what either one of them said. After the service, he came to me. He said, I, I asked him if he'd go 
I'd go with him. And he said, this is what he told me. He said, not today. I got too much living to do. And that young man went out that door and never received Christ. It's the last time I saw him. Till I saw him in his casket. Just a few weeks later, he was out drinking, partying with his buddies. They were driving too fast, went around this curve, had an accident, and that young man was killed instantly. I asked his girlfriend, I said, did he ever go to church? Did he ever talk about the Lord after that service? And she said, no, as far as I know, he never had any interest in the things of God or in church. So I don't know. I cannot look into his heart, but as far as I know, he died so quickly. He's probably in hell. You think he meant to go to hell? Listen, he didn't think he was that near eternity. He thought, I've got plenty of time. I'll get saved some other time. I'm going to get saved, but I'm not going to get saved now. I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm going to party. I'm going to drink. I'm going to live it up. And when I get ready... I'll get saved when I want to. I'm not getting saved now. Put it off. Procrastination. I'll wait for another time. Trade in the soul. What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Once you've traded it, once you've sold it, if you had all the world, you'd come and buy it back. Let's bow our heads.